0: Welcome to PrepCast, your MBA and Master's Admission podcast. Our mission is to help you get accepted to your dream school. Today's episode would be most helpful to MBA applicants struggling with the critical reasoning questions of the GMAT. Brian Galvin, Chief Academic Officer of Veritas Prep, will give us a rundown of the most useful strategies students can employ to successfully tackle this specific type of question. All right, welcome back everyone. Um, hopefully everybody can hear okay, and uh, I think most people here um, should be back from yesterday. I mean, we may have some some newcomers. Like when we first loaded up the room, there were a couple people a little concerned about uh, where they were, what they were doing, but uh, good to see some familiar, I would say faces back, but I guess it's just names. But um, hey, if you're uh, if you're back from yesterday, feel free to type in and say hello. I'm still Brian, still here in Los Angeles, and I have to say, I was bragging all day yesterday to people around the office, to my mom, um, to a whole bunch of people about uh, all the different people from around the world we got a chance to work with yesterday. So, thanks again for the opportunity. Uh, we've got more exciting things in, in store here. Um, why don't we do this? Just if, uh, if you're back from yesterday and excited to be here, just type in hello or something like that. That way, uh, at least if the, the chat box gets moving, um, we'll, uh, we'll be able to, perfect, thank you guys. Um, Lisa, thanks everybody. It's, uh, it's just good to know. Otherwise, I'm literally talking to a wall. So uh, just wanted to make sure people were out there. Thank you for coming back, and uh, really excited to. Uh, uh, was I was bra- the countries I was bragging about yesterday included? Um, it was uh, South Africa. It was Azerbaijan. It was a couple others. Bulgaria, you know, obviously France, Italy, Russia, some of those. So uh, so thank you guys for uh, for making the time and. Um, this was great, so um, look forward to seeing you guys again tomorrow and uh, next week also, but uh, I'm excited about this. So, John will type in a couple of instructions for people who may be joining us for the first time, um, don't know about the fact that if it happens again for some of you guys tomorrow, if you can't see me or hear me right away, if it's just a blank video pod, just click out and back in and, uh, and it should work. So, um, that uh, every once in a while, you just, it's just a second, third, fourth time is the charm, but, uh, but we'll get there, so um, we'll, uh, we'll work with that. Um, a couple people were talking about unsupported formats. One of the limitations here is uh, it doesn't work on uh, on iOS um, and maybe not on Android. But if you use a, a laptop uh, or a desktop, this stuff will work out pretty quickly. So um, awesome! I like how we have our, uh, our you know it's like the Olympics here, not United Nations or something. All of our international loyalties and rivalries, so uh, it's a fun group to work with. So we have in store today, um, we're gonna start talking about critical reasoning, uh, which we didn't actually see at all yesterday, so um, should be all brand new information and, uh, and should be a pretty good one. I'll talk about why uh, the Jigga Man is on the screen right here. Um, one important note, we, uh, we found actually part of what we were doing on the screen yesterday for you guys was covering up your ability to go full screen because we're doing all verbal today, and there's some dense, uh, relatively dense paragraphs of reading, you may want to go full screen for all of those. And so right above the video pod where you see me, I should point in the right direction. Back. I, uh, it's all mirror effect and everything. Above me somewhere, either one of these ways, you'll see some arrows to be able to expand to full screen. If you want to do that as we go through any of the, uh, the kind of dense, uh, maybe small font reading type things, um, know that that's an option for you, and, uh, and you'll be able to, to read things a little more clearly. Cool. So um, that's what we're, uh, we're in store for today. And really the theme of today is critical reasoning, which is one third of the verbal section. And, uh, and really we're going to call it The Blueprint, and which is why Jay-Z's Blueprint album is here. There's a way that they write these. We talked a lot yesterday about the phrase, think like the test maker. How do they write these questions? What kind of traps are they setting out there for you? If you understand, really it's a standardized test. One of the things I, I feel bad every once in a while when you know, people ask what I do for a living. I say oh, I work with standardized tests. People hate them. Um, standardized doesn't mean challenging, arbitrary. It means it's the same thing over and over again. And so if, uh, if you're looking at the idea of a standardized test, it means they have to have a playbook, a blueprint for writing these questions, and we're gonna break that down. So most critical reasoning questions, probably you're gonna see somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 to 15 of them um, are gonna ask you to either strengthen or weaken a conclusion or an argument, or something to do with a plan or strategy. And then others will have you draw a conclusion. Now, if you have to draw a conclusion, four of the five answer choices are flawed. If you have to strengthen or weaken it, it has to be a flawed argument. And so, in these cases, you're dealing with flawed arguments. If our goal is we can recognize and spot logical flaws and arguments, we can win this game. And as they build, look, flaws in arguments, we'll see there's a blueprint for how they do it. So that'll be our goal. We're going to build from you know, kind of the basics like Socrates and Aristotle syllogisms of what an argument is. And then we're going to see pretty quickly how they can take that sort of simple idea of fact, fact, and conclusion, and really make it into some, some pretty tricky questions. Some of the questions we go through today will be among some of the trickier, um, you know, higher degree of difficulty problems we'll see. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, you'll feel pretty comfortable with those by the time we're done. Now, to scan in the chat, looks like a lot of tech questions and things. Uh, a big thank you to, uh, to John Small for, uh, for helping us out with some of those as we get started here. Um, On to the critical reasoning. This is the kind of the underpinnings of arguments. This is Aristotle's syllogism. I think we had one or two people from Greece in the house uh, yesterday. Um, and so if, if, uh, if we do or if we did, uh, we're, uh, we're tipping our hat to you guys um, going back to... Uh, to some of the you know, underpinnings of, uh, of overall logic. Um, if you have the fact that all men are mortal, and that Socrates is a man, then the fact that he fits in this category of all men and mortal, this is what they call a syllogism. If you have two facts that work together to be able to form a new fact, that's a valid conclusion based on those facts. All right. So we, uh, we know we have a, a pretty good argument here. But like I said, I'm a GMAT, they're all going to be flawed arguments. And so what we need to do is see how do you take this structure and then come up with a flawed argument. Well, here's an example of that. you look at this, all men are mortal. Socrates is a dog, therefore Socrates is mortal. What's wrong with that argument? Everything is wrong with the argument. You can see that. Yeah, we don't link dog and mortal. Really what we're looking at is we've got one premise about men, and then it doesn't quite match with dogs. Every once in a while, one of our feminists in the crowd will yell out, all men are dogs, and then that actually would fill it together if we can equate the two. But that's really our problem here. Men is not equal to dog. Uh, Tariq, this is exactly I think what we have on the next slide. We don't connect these. Now, this again, like that first data sufficiency question we did yesterday, I don't think is the hardest problem in the world. I actually think it's pretty basic. But one of the reasons we like this is this is how they write every question. They just don't make it as wide of a gap. There's always a gap either between premise and premise. Here we have all men are mortal. Socrates is a dog, so those don't connect. Or between premise and conclusion, there's always a gap. It's just not always this wide. So if you were to see how they might do it on the GMAT, they take a similar gap. Men is not the same thing as dogs, even though maybe every once in a while someone could equate those. They give you an argument like this. All right. the unemployment rate has dropped. Therefore, fewer people are unemployed. So everybody see that's pretty much the same gap? The number of people unemployed is similar to, but not the same thing, as the unemployment rate, because the unemployment rate is the number unemployed divided by the number in the labor market. This is a ratio or a percentage. This is an actual number. They don't really connect. It's basically the same thing as man versus dog. It's just not quite, it's a little bit tighter. It's something that people might mistake a little bit more, but it's really the same flaw. And so, that's where um, the whole game of critical reasoning is played. It's still a gap, like man doesn't equal dog. It's just that there, there's going to be a, a little bit of a little bit tighter of a disconnect, and it's up to you to look for those things. Is this really the same thing as that? If you can notice those flaws, that's really where we get successful and obvious. All right. So. Um, uh, okay, people were talking about homework and the website and all those. We'll do our overall Q&A toward the end, if that's all right. Um, just so we can kind of keep, uh, keep the session relatively tight. And we're recording that for people who miss it and everything. So, um, didn't have homework for today. We'll talk about all those things. And the website should be pretty useful. So when we summarize at the end, we'll, uh, we'll tie up sort of housekeeping details and everything, if that's all right. Cool. So, um, this is really the same thing, the same blueprint two things that aren't the same, but they're passing it off as though they are, and it's just here it's a little bit tighter. Here actually, um, if you guys follow, uh, I don't know a lot of people overseas do follow American politics, you get this stuff all the time, where people will argue, well this rate is down, therefore you know, more people are doing better, people are doing worse, and all that. American politics, we've got an election coming up in a month, is all about this. So uh, it's always kind of fun teaching this stuff during an election time. Unemployment rates, not the same thing as the number of people, but people will try to pass it off that way. So this is an example of a flawed argument. It's basically the same blueprint. Man does not equal dog. This rate doesn't quite equal the number of people. That's what we want to train ourselves to see. Hey, this thing is similar to, but not quite the same thing as that. That's how they create these flawed arguments. So with all that in mind, I want you guys to take a look really just at the argument. So as we look at uh, just overall critical reasoning strategy, our theme today is really going to be a little bit of a deeper dive than just, this is what a problem looks like. There's five answer choices, all that kind of thing. We're going to go pretty deep. But before we do that, this is what these will all look like. You're going to have a stimulus, which is a paragraph. You're going to have a question stem, which is pretty important, and then the five answer choices. Generally speaking, you want to know what your goal is with the question stem first. Here it wants us to strengthen the argument. So we know we're dealing with a flawed argument, and we want to figure out what that flaw is so we can fill it in. Here's where you may want to go full screen. Again, just above that video pod, you'll see some arrows that will expand it, um, just so you can make sure you can read all of this. What we want to get in the habit of doing is doing at least two thirds of our work on the stimulus itself before we get to the answer choices. So I'm just going to step slightly off screen so you guys can read the whole thing. Give you about 45 seconds. What I want to do, and actually, let me check the the next slide real quick. I think I have this set up the right way. Nope. Um, Don't even worry about the answer choices for now. Just tell me, hey, what's the flaw in this argument 30, 40 seconds, I'm going to step off screen and uh, type it in as you have it. So what do people see as a flaw in this argument? If we're trying to look for, we can safely proceed with the harvesting of peat, that's that conclusion. And they say, but this can't be true, because in Ireland, it's been OK. Right. So um, because it's uh, rosy, uh, right along the, uh, the right track, it's different countries. So how do we know that they compare with each other? I think we're, we're all kind of thinking around the same way. If I were to look at the flaw in this, their example is Ireland. Who are we? And so if we see that basically man versus dog, we are one country that's not specified here. Ireland is another. Hey, how do we know that those two things are around the same thing? If instead of Ireland, they said Antarctica, then most of us would notice that immediately. They make it a little bit tighter where Ireland's kind of, you know, a lot of people are going to business school or at some more latitudes to Ireland and all that. It's not quite Antarctica or Pluto or Mars or something like that. It's a tight, a little bit tighter, kind of more like unemployment rate and number unemployed. But if you recognize that gap, hey wait a second, what if Ireland has nothing to do with us? Then you can start to attack the answer choices. Now here's where the more I work with people on critical reasoning, the more we all and I shouldn't say I—we all recognize people are always in such a hurry to get to the answer choices that they don't really process right away what's going on. If you can train yourself to notice that gap then you can anticipate we want to fill in this gap. So we're looking for an answer choice that says, yeah Ireland's a pretty good comparison to wherever we are. That those are pretty similar ecologically or it's pretty similar places where if you could do it here, you can probably do it there, right? So if you pick something like British Columbia might be something like that, same latitude and general climate or something like that, Some place where it's always wet, maybe it's Britain, um, you know, similar places. We want to fill that gap. If you can anticipate, hey, what does the right answer have to do? Right answer has to take our premise, which is that, hey, this works okay in Ireland, connect it to the conclusion that so therefore we can do it. If we're looking for how do we fill that gap, then when you get to the answer choices, you should find it. Um, and here, it's because we're going to try to focus on argument first. We actually have this already bolded for you. This one says, basically, Ireland was virtually identical to this country. OK, that's what we're looking for. Right. Now again, the goal on these, and this is why we skipped to the answer choices once we had this here pretty quickly, if you can anticipate Hey, the right answer needs to, in a strengthening question, show that, yeah, this is pretty similar to this. If they're asking you to strengthen an argument, help to justify the argument, add value to the argument somehow, if you've identified that gap, the right answer will link man to dog or link uh, unemployment rate to number unemployed will link this country to Ireland. So your goal is, okay, I know the gap. I want to fill it. If it's a weekend question, and they ask you to call into question, cast doubt upon any of those things in argument, then what you want to look for is something that says, hey, this country and Ireland aren't that similar at all. Ireland had, you know, a totally different ecology, you know, so many years ago, or this country's ecology has been damaged by hurricanes and oil spills or something, so it's not really analogous. You're just looking for something to to drive that apart. But on all strengthen and, and weaken questions, if you can identify the gap when you're reading here, the answer choice, the right answer will usually, if not jump off the screen at you, it'll feel right once you've seen it. So I think a lot of times people go to process of elimination on these, as opposed to really knowing what you're looking for. It's like shopping or something. If you know what you want, if you've got a list, you go and get it, as opposed to just browsing around. This a time test, so you want to be on a mission. So let me pause for a second on that. Everybody comfortable with that? This one, I wouldn't argue, is all that difficult. But if you recognize, too, you read a lot more in answer choices than you do in the paragraph itself. So it's really helpful if you know what you're looking for when you get to the answer choices. Otherwise, you waste a lot of time rereading answer choices and all that. All right. Perfect. Well, Let's move on. One other thing, that, and this one may not even be the best example, but one thing, we talk about think like the test maker and uh, you know how do they make things difficult. A lot of times they bore people with the first handful of words. When you get to the verbal section, I guess we haven't really talked about the structure of a test all that much, you're going to do an essay first, then you're going to do what they call integrated reasoning for half an hour, then you're gonna do the math section, then you're gonna do the verbal section. So this comes last. You'll have been at the test center for at least two and a half hours before you even start to see questions like this. One of the things they like to do, you're looking for, I wanna match up Ireland with this country. And so they may bore you a little bit or take five or six words, eight or nine words, to even get to where you see what you want. So uh, be forewarned, here, you may even be thinking, hey, I need the ecology to be the same. So this might not have thrown a ton of people off, but they love what we call the curveball, where if you know what you're looking for, you're patient and you read the answer choice all the way through because you're kind of looking for, hey, is this going to get where I need it to go? One of the dangerous ways that people do critical reasoning is they'll look at the first three words of every answer choice and say, it doesn't seem relevant, doesn't seem relevant they love a little bit of an intro, a little bit of you know five, six, seven words to take its time getting to what's really relevant because they know we're all in a hurry and we may eliminate right answer choices within you know the first three or four seconds of reading them. So the other nice thing about knowing what you're looking for is it's easier to be a little bit patient because you'll know it when you see it. Here's another decent example. Again, what I want to do is Make sure that we get a good uh, identification on what's the conclusion, because if we go all the way back to Socrates, it's really about what are the facts and what are the conclusions. Uh, Specifically, what is the conclusion? And then what's the gap between premise and conclusion? Here, they're asking which of the following is an assumption required by the argument? So we need something that's going to help us tie that argument together. Without this explicitly stated, it's not as good an argument. So again, take about a minute on this one to try to unpack it. Let's not worry too much about the answer choices right away. Let's see if we can figure out, hey, what's the gap between the premise and conclusion here? And then we'll attack the answer choices. Um, So real, what your assignments are, if I should be clear about this. Tell me what the conclusion is, and tell me if you can find a gap in there. I'll just step off so you guys can see it, and uh, we'll take about a minute and see how we do. All right, so let's talk through this one a little bit. What do you guys see as the conclusion? And what do you guys see as the gap between the facts that they gave us and the conclusion? And then we'll get to the answer. Hang on on the answer. Well, uh, our goal, and, and I should tell you why, the goal is really to master the technique and the process. And then this question's dead and gone once, uh, once we're done with this session. But the questions you see on test day, you'll want to be able to, to replicate that process as you get there. So does um, so anybody think they've found a gap here? So and welcome. I feel bad. People are saying hello. I'm not even saying hello. I'm uh, all business today, so apologize. So we do have dates. If we break down what's going on here, we know that this lake existed for half a million years. So from 2 to 1.5 million years ago, we had the lake. So we have that gap there. Or that I shouldn't say gap, because we're talking about gaps in logic. We have that time frame there. And we're saying that ancestors of modern, therefore, tells us that this is a conclusion. Ancestors of modern humans lived in this place in this time frame. Right. So we're saying that they lived there. Right. Now, what's our, our evidence for saying that they lived there? Yeah, it's the bones, right? And it's got that. Other people, I think, are, uh, are getting toward that. We found bones there, so bones were found there. Let me. We'll use different colors. So our conclusion is this, and we're basing that on the fact that we found bones there. Right. Now, here's where, if you're thinking a little bit critically, say, wait a second, are bones being found there direct evidence that they lived there, or could they have gotten there some other way? Right. So, I mean, if, if uh, has anybody here watched The Simpsons, I don't know if that makes it overseas. Uh, like a shopping mall, you guys know there's an episode of The Simpsons forever ago where um, there's a shopping mall that uh, was claiming to have found in, in an archaeological dig bones of an angel on this spot. And it turned out all they were doing was hyping the opening of, of this new mall nearby. You can fake bones there. You can take bones from a museum, put them there some other way. So really what the gap is in this case is that we have bones there, but is that really proof that people lived there, or were somehow their bones deposited there afterward? Somebody raided uh, you know, an Egyptian tomb and then put bones there later, or uh, some punk kids wanted to play a trick on the archaeologists. The real gap here is that, yes we have bones, but does that mean that people really lived there at that time? And so if we break that out, and here we've got some of these slides are pre-formatted, maybe even a little bit better, um, we've got the bones, do we really know that they live there? We want to connect those a little bit tighter. Right. And so as people are talking about answer choices, we've got a couple people mention E, uh, I think Artur did, Olga did. What does E do to help us tighten that a little bit? All right. So if I were saying I wanted to weaken it and say, hey, what's the gap? I don't know about those bones. Those bones really mean that the people lived there? Or did a dump truck from an old graveyard just throw them there last week? Or did kids raid the Natural History Museum, play a trick on the archaeologist? Or did an earthquake redeposit those bones You know, just a 1,000 years ago somehow? Right. What does E do? So a lot of people were talking about liking E. How does that connect the dots? Nice. I think uh, Dez has got it. Um, and, and look at Dez's points, really. Um, Dez has it. Linda has it. We're basically saying, hey, they didn't get there at a later date. These bones were there around that time. So it makes it a lot more likely that they're evidence that people live there. If you don't have this, it could be that somebody just put them there a little bit more recently. All right. So. If uh, it, it doesn't necessarily prove it, and you don't always have to prove it, but man, does it make it a lot closer together because it allows us to say, hey, these bones are a lot closer evidence that people lived there because they not only are the bones there now, they have been there since this time period. And so since our real goal is to link everything to this time period, people lived during this time period, hey, if those bones got there during that time period, that takes the next million and a half years of ways that. The bones could have gotten there off the table and says hey it's not some kind of recent development not an earthquake not uh, you know moving around old artifacts and somehow they got lost in there not a civilization trying to dig up their remains and move to a new spot and like that they were there at that time it's a whole lot more likely so if you're looking at any of these gaps in logic, what it tends to end up being is you get a word or a concept that's similar to, but not the exact same thing. Bones are decent evidence, but if uh, we can make sure that it's even tighter evidence, get it closer, these assumption questions should mention that word tends to be associated with even harder problems, um, because it won't always prove it, but not having it. Totally ruins it. So if this weren't there, and you said, "Now, nah, actually the bones got there sometime later. we don't really have evidence of anything. So a lot of times assumption problems, it's a little bit trickier, so it's, a, it's a, a kind of a hairline support as opposed to just, you know, bang, it totally supports it. But that's really what we're looking for. We've got evidence, but is that evidence really tied toward the active verb here? They lived there, or just, hey, at some, t- at some point in time, humans were there. So let's move to, and there are a lot of conversations we could have about uh, a lot of these, but we'll uh, we'll try to get um, a few. Yeah, right here. Okay, so the answer was E. This one I do want to talk about C. Uh, I think if, uh, and I should have uh, mentioned, I'll clear out the poll for the next one. If uh, if we go through a lot of what we're trying to do now, just so you guys know, I'm not really referencing the poll all that much. Is um, doing most of our work on really just understanding arguments. If we've only had about an hour, hour and a half together on this. Um, I want to dive deep on how do we break down arguments and be aware of what we're looking for. Uh, right or wrong answers today I'm not as concerned with, because it takes a little bit of time and practice. We just want you to have some technique and really know what you're looking for. One thing that's pretty interesting with C, though, um, and it. Based on the poll, and I don't really instruct people to use it, so, uh, so I don't know what good evidence that is. That's probably a critical reasoning question in and of its own. People in the poll pick C, but if they didn't know they were supposed to be using it, uh, what kind of uh, percentages do we really have? How many people, if you just want to type in a quick yes or me, or if you want to admit to it, pick C. Because C is really the big trap answer on this, and if we're talking about good strategy and then avoiding bad strategy, we might as well talk about C. This is one of my favorite problems, because it almost always comes out, a lot of C's, a lot of E's. So and I shouldn't say it's wrong and then volunteer, like, but tell me if you picked it. Like Nobody wants to be, admit to being wrong. So I understand human nature. Um, but uh, if some of us did, if you're kind of honest with yourself. Um, I think a lot of people do. I'd, I'd be susceptible to this one. Here's what's interesting with C. If you pick C, usually the reason people do that is just kind of an interesting. Like it's a way that we, t- it's good insight into our minds. People like C because if you look at it, it says oh, okay, the lava that lay under that didn't contain any human fossil remains. So if we're basically looking at the fossil record, do in blue, we have uh, 1.5 million years ago, we have 2 million years ago, and then we have everything before. Right, and so. Here, here's our current evidence. I'm terrible at drawing bones, but these are our bones. So not, not totally awful. Um, so here's our current evidence. What C says is that this isn't true, that there are other bones. And kind of look like bones, right? C says uh, this isn't true. All right. well, what's interesting about this is that we don't need this to be true, because all we want to do is prove that, they, that modern humans lived in this time during this time frame. All we're really concerned with is what happens in this time frame. We're not saying that it's the first uh, humans or the earliest humans. If this were modern humans lived in Europe 10 minutes ago, none of us is ever going to dispute this. It's just, we know it's not the first modern humans because we all have parents and you know, we can go and, and visit cathedrals. We know people were there before. Here, because it's sort of ancient and because it's archeology, span as someone becoming a you know, business major or an MBA, this really only enters your world if it's noteworthy, that it's the first or the earliest. So be honest with yourself. If you did pick C, did you, were you looking for oh, but these people have to be the first. I have to get rid of these old bull- Like I can't have anybody beforehand. I want to know that these are the first. That tends to be the reason people pick C. And the reason you do that, uh, and if you made that mistake, um, and it's, it's just worth noting, we only care about this in our current world. If we read it in The Economist, The Financial Times, you know, New York Times, something like that, it only comes across our desk if it's noteworthy. The first humans, or we've discovered the earliest known human remains, you're gonna see that pop up on your newsfeed, on Twitter, or whatever, if it's just, oh yeah, people lived here at this time, you don't care. So your mind automatically puts a little bit of, um, puts a little bit of context on it. So one of the really important things to look at with, um, with critical reasoning is you have to read exactly what's there. If you make this mistake a couple times, notice how it, it, you, some of us have a tendency to, not everybody does, but if you do notice it that, oh, I thought it had to be the biggest, the tallest, the fastest, the strongest, the first, the last, the most recent, uh, the earliest, if, if that comes up and you realize, if you're asking yourself, hey, why did I pick that answer, see if that happens, and then know to check yourself. Because that is one thing. With stats on this one, should have put up graphs for this, but um, probably about 40% of people pick C. And when I do this in a class and you ask people, OK, what was your conclusion? They go, oh, the first ancestors. You're like, that word's not here. It's just that's the way our mind tends to go. So, um, well, and thank you for uh, enjoying the, uh, the challenge, Rose. We appreciate it. So. Could they rise to the surface? Um, It's not a bad point. Um, You could find that. uh, But it doesn't, I was going to say, it wouldn't change. So, If people lived before, I guess that's a good point, R. um, If people lived there before, does that change the fact that people lived there during that time? So that hypothetical totally works, right? Like, hey, something could have pushed it up, whether there was you know, pressure from underneath, uh, you know, volcanic activity, earthquake or something like that. Could these bones actually have pushed up into this layer? Yeah, it could have been, but I don't think it changes the fact that people lived during this giant time. I would say it probably makes it more likely, although now we're going way away from the argument, but if people lived before, like if you told me that people lived in New York City 3,000 years ago, I think it probably makes it more likely that they live there now because we know that the climate is inhabitable and they built civilizations or something like that. So um, it doesn't disprove it if there were people there before. Uh, So and do I rely only on the information in the question? Yeah, that's it. They bait you into you into outside information or since so many of these topics are strange, like it's just not the kind of thing we think about every day. They bait you into little biases. So we're actually going to see that in, in just a second. One of the things they love to do, one of the last questions we'll get to, they love anything that you might have an opinion on. It's not as often that people bring in outside information. Like, oh, I read an article in the New York times last week that said, this is true. So I'm going to bring in that what they tend to do though, is they play on your emotions a little. If this was one where, I don't know how many people fall for it or fell for it in this room. Your mind wants this to have some bigger world impact. So you may go for and think that it had to be the first or whatever. Others, I don't want to sell too much. If there is any kind of emotion you could have, they tend to be able to use that against you. So it's not even just outside information. It's focus really on exactly what's written because they pick Topics are just ways of wording it where your mind goes somewhere else. And I'm doing a really abstract job of saying that because I don't want to give it away. We'll see one toward the end in uh, maybe a half an hour or so. File that away because we'll go see it. So, hopefully that helped. Clarify a little bit. Uh, looks like you typed it. the last line of responses is like just where the, the camera knocks in. So if you guys don't mind, it's going to look terrible. But let me go over Good point. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so let's hit. One more. Now this, I will say, before we get started, is what I would argue is one of the harder questions we have in our books anywhere. This comes from our advanced verbal strategy lesson, um, which is four and a half weeks into our course. So this is after people have been working on this stuff for a while. A lot of you guys are brand new, at least to us, and and maybe relatively new to the So let me preface it that way. What I want to do, don't even worry about the answer choices. We'll get to these later. I want you to focus on this paragraph, and I want you to find man versus dog. So your two uh, goals here are, one, what are they concluding? And two, can you find a gap between the major fact they're using and the conclusion? I'm going to argue it's the same thing as man versus dog. It's two things that, to the naked eye, seem pretty similar enough that you'd never find it. But if you can find that gap in logic, hey, the conclusion uses this word, the premise uses this word, and they're not really the same thing, then you have a shot at this one. So take a minute, just focus here. I know this is pretty dense because it's a small problem, so you may want to go full screen on it. And uh, in about a minute, we're going to talk about, can you find that gap? One word looks similar, but man, it's not the same thing. We'll talk about that in about a minute. So what do people see? I see a couple people typing in, what is the conclusion? Do you see a gap? I'm going to say, I, I, it's a little over-coaching, but it's, uh, it's one of the first ones. It's, uh, it's, um, it's a hard question. We're just getting to it. Um, Kerry, I think, nailed it. Um, depends on the profiles of criminals. I, I can see your point for that. And it's not even, we'll, we'll worry about answer choices when we get there. Um, I, I'm going to agree pretty hard with uh, with Anna and Carrie on this one. If you look at the conclusions, so this word so, a lot of times appears in front of a conclusion. Therefore, it's pretty obvious that it's a conclusion. Uh, there's some others in there. Therefore, thus, so is another one like that. Because of this, so, that, that's the conclusion. So they're trying to say intensive supervision is no more effective than routine supervision. Now here's another hint on these. The devil really is in the details. You could stop here and just say, eh, intensive supervision is not that good. It's, uh, it's no more effective, so you know, what's the deal with intensive supervision? But they go on. And when the conclusion adds details, that's usually where the flaws are. So keep reading. Anytime they go farther than you think they have to, anytime they add an extra word or an extra phrase to the conclusion, that's usually what's important. So what's intensive supervision no more effective than routine at doing? It's in preventing them from committing additional crimes. And as Kerry expertly pointed out and a couple other people agreed, well, what are we looking at? What does the fact deal with? It's percentage of released criminals arrested is not the same, or is the same, sorry, as for one versus the other. So it's percentage arrested Is that the same thing as committing additional crimes? So let me pause and make sure everybody sees that. I actually think the next slide should uh, should nail that here, Um, just maybe a little bit more clearly than with all the markup on there. Is arrested the same thing as committing additional crimes? It's not. And so if we're looking at, hey, wait a second. These two things aren't the same. This one, if we go back just one slide here, These answer choices are dense. And the other thing, if we just scan these together, look how often the word not appears in the answer choices. Not here, not here, Um, there's a couple others, would not have. They do a lot of negation, not significantly greater. These answer choices are dense. They're hard to unpack if, uh, if you're not knowing what you're looking for. So if we know up here hey, wait a second, their fact deals with being arrested and their conclusion is about committing crimes, then hey, that's what we're looking for is filling those, then we have a chance at the answer choices. This one, if you're just going straight to the answer choices, you skim this and go to the answers, those answer choices are really difficult. All right. So, if we're looking at, okay, how do these link together? Well, you can definitely commit crimes and not be arrested, right? How about, can we um, we show of hands how many people have committed a crime and not been arrested? Usually I can get people to out themselves for this. This is a total... CIA, Stan, Barack Obama put me up to this. If we can get, now we know whose phones to tap and all that, so you guys are too smart for that. But uh, you can definitely commit a crime without being arrested. I'll be honest, I was a little late for work today. I was speeding, I was like 10 miles an hour, uh, so like 15 kilometers or so above the speed limit. Nobody got me, I'm a scofflaw and I'll admit it on camera. You can commit crimes without being arrested. What we wanna do is link these together. I, you would actually, if you want to even think a little bit deeper, people under intensive supervision are more likely to be caught, right? So under routine, if you arrest the same amount, well, under routine, they're probably committing more crimes. We're just not actually finding them because we're not surveilling them as closely. So all we want to do right now, if everybody agrees, we want to try to connect arrest to crimes committed, and then when you get to the answer choices, you at least have a goal C is tricky to unpack, but I think a couple people mentioned that. If we just go, if you read this one, again, we won't do the entire problem all the way through. I think the answer choices are so dense. The proportion of arrests to crimes committed was not significantly higher for criminals under intensive than supervision. Well, this really, if all you do is scan and see, hey, this actually links arrests with crimes committed, it's the only answer choice that does that. So if on test day, you're worn out, and you're running a little short on time, and you know that gap is, hey, I need to deal with this somehow, then you can be pretty confident that you can pick this without doing all the math, doing all the overall investigation. So let me pause here, and we'll talk about why this actually does work in just a second. Is everybody with us? Arrests aren't the same thing as crimes committed. Their fact doesn't really match their conclusion. So we're looking for something that links them together. If we agree there, C is the only one that even does it. So you can start to feel pretty confident in an uh, answer choice like that. The other thing then, if we do look at a lot of times this not significantly higher, this negation is tough. When they give you a not this or not that, I don't know if you guys, uh, uh, what was it, Borat, when they are trying to teach them how not jokes work, or old like 1990s Wayne's World, where everything was, this is great, not. They love negation on the GMAT. They do a ton of that. They just love to make it the opposite. So if you're looking at we need an assumption, we need this to be true in order for the argument to hold, try to see what happens without it. If the proportion of arrests to crimes committed was significantly higher, so if you have intensive here and routine here. If it was significantly higher, that means that, OK, say 10 people commit a crime. So this is crimes, 10 in each case. Under intensive, they caught nine of them. Under routine, they caught, say, three of them. Then if the percentage arrested is the same, well, that means intensive, you're getting everybody. Anybody you catch an arrest, that actually is a little bit better. So the number of arrested, percentage arrested, doesn't matter as much. It's just kind of a flawed stat there because hey, a lot fewer people are committing, if the number, uh, if say the number were the same in both cases, and we arrest 50 people, we got pretty much all of them under intensive. There are a lot of people going free under routine, so yeah, intensive is better. And so this is why this, this exact statement works. But even at that, that's a hard thing to go through in two minutes on a, a test question. If you just recognize, hey, I know what the flaw is these two things aren't the same, this is the only answer choice that even deals with trying to make them the same or link them together, you can be pretty happy with C. So I'm gonna take a quick second here and make sure everybody's comfortable with that. Like I said, this is one of the harder problems we have, uh, harder problems I've seen, but if you know what you're looking for when you get to the answer choices, you've got a pretty good shot. So people agree, follow up questions? So one, like I said, is tough. The nice thing is this one sets us up really well for the next one. So it looks like we're good, a couple people may be typing, I'll, uh, I'll hang out for a second on that. And then just to kind of reiterate our goal with this session, um, if, you, if you spend more of your time understanding the arguments, you're better off. Like people are in such a hurry, so we're almost just overdoing it, like you would do in you know, sports drills or something like that, where you just focus on one element for a while. The more time you spend really unpacking these things, really understanding the gap, the better uh, answer, you are, or better off, you are. So, um, how much time should you spend on these? It uh, verbal's tricky because everybody's a little bit different with their proportion. The question types are so different. Um, generally, on these, you're looking at about a minute and a half to two minutes on average for the whole section. You have a minute forty-five per question. Um, these may take a li- These definitely take longer than sentence correction. So, uh, you can push around two minutes on some of these. I think the better answer I can give you, Jimmy, is I would spend two thirds of your time really understanding the argument and then one third looking for your answer. Um, more often than not, if you understand the flaw, you'll find it in the answers. Where people waste a lot of time on these is they have a surface understanding of a couple keywords here, and then they get lost in dense answer choices. Cool. that Oh that's not poor uh, internet record. I um. I'd like to think that's actually the best compliment I've, uh, I've received all day. So um, that's uh, hopefully it's just like cadence of speech. I apologize that things don't rhyme as much. But thank you. That's, uh, I'm honored. So does that hope, and I probably, I'm going to step in front of the camera. The, uh, I should have adjusted this before we went, but the, the last line of comments is right by my camera. So perfect. Awesome. All right. Cool. We're on the same page. Why don't we will stick with the, uh, I believe, the uh, the critical element. We'll take a little bit of an interstitial here, make sure we're on the same page. What we've seen is these hard questions are the same as that, that real basic one we did in the beginning. They just hide the gap. So in that one, it's a little bit harder to find. They make a small gap. One of the things that I think is neat about that one is. For, uh, for all of us, we're law-abiding citizens. We're trying to get into, uh, you know even if, if it's anything, it's white-collar crime. We're, uh, we're trying to figure out a way to extort money out of the IMF or something like that. But we're not going to get arresting crimes committed. So um, we're, um, you know, we're in, in pretty good uh, standing. So when they say, arrests oh, arresting crimes committed, we think they're the same thing. If they were to say murder and something else, we'd probably link them together because we're just, that's the way that we think. We're not as, uh, as in tune with all that. And then this is the other part. The answer choices are convoluted, don't always help, and so we need to be in a a position where we know what we're looking for. Average level questions or so, questions between 500 and 620, or something like that, a lot of times you can scan the answer choices and do pretty well. If you're trying to get scores uh, around the, uh, the 700 level, you need to know what you're looking for. You have to be on a mission before you get there, because it's, uh, it's just, it's, they make these so convoluted, so we want to pay attention to that gap in logic. So. Um, I love all the Hollywood references This is a fun group, man. Thank you guys for uh, being in, uh, in good shape. So let me, step aside real quick. Does it need precision in English? Um, to an extent, yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that uh, that you know you can have pretty broken English or anything like that. Like, a decent understanding of how uh, how the you know, good understand if you're fluent in the language able to, to communicate in it, you're going to have an advantage over people who, uh, who aren't. Um, the other, the other, the caveat that I should give you with that is this is an international test. And so what they tend to do, I want to say tend to do, what they do with all of their questions is they pay attention to essentially, this is a total tangent, so bear with me here, but especially for an international crowd, I think you guys will be happy to know this. They have statistics on every question that Along the the x-axis is the ability level or the final score of users. And here is the percent who get it correct. And on every question, people at the low end don't do very well. And then eventually, people do really well. And they can take this and layer it on for, OK, this is the statistics for the world. People scoring 800 always get it right. People scoring 200 have a guesser's chance of getting it right. If they ever look at one and for international users, right, if they say, okay, in in the US, the graph looks almost exactly like this, but then say in India, China, and Eastern Europe, the graph actually looks like this, then they can look at this and say, nah, it's a culturally biased, flawed question. Like, for whatever reason, people are getting this right. They get it right really well in the US, they don't get it right at nearly as high a clip other places. They'll throw that question out. All right, so, and I should label this. If this is US, if this is overall, and this is international or something like that, they can look at that and just say, nah, I guess you need to have like kind of colloquial English or it's just too language heavy. It's not really reasoning heavy. So, some of these examples arrests and crimes committed, I don't know actually. I remember the first time I taught in London and I was talking about parentheses in. Um, Math operations, and everybody kind of looked at me like, "What are you talking about?" We call them brackets. I was like, "Oh man, my, uh, you know, who knows what words are what?" They do it statistically. It's not just somebody at the Graduate Management Admissions Council. Like, no, I think this is fair. They look at these kind of stats. So if you're worried about that at all, they take that insanely seriously. And close to about 60% of all GMATS taken now are outside of the U.S. Um, And so, and a lot in uh, other, in you know, non-native English-speaking countries. So um, you can be aware of that. So. Yeah, the, yeah actually, I, I talked about it in uh, you know a thousand words and hit it. It's not an English language test. It's more of a reasoning test. so if, they, if what they think is clever wordplay actually isn't in other markets, they'll throw those questions out so. It's, um, Are 2 hang on, general questions. Let's hit all those at the end just so we can stay kind of in. I'll hang out at the end for some of those, but uh, I want to make sure where I took a little bit of a tangent here, but I um, want to make sure that because uh, people are from all time zones and everything, so I don't keep people up too late answering a lot of those. Um, let's hit one more, and this one is, uh, is going to be pretty similar to the last. Slightly new format they go on it where we're looking at two people sort of arguing a point. And what I wanna do, I'm gonna even, I'm not gonna take a full step off screen. Um, Same thing, what I wanna do in the next, say, 40 seconds is come to an agreement together about what is the conclusion and then start to talk about what we see as a gap. So just read to the line. I'm going to take a half step off, and I'll come back. Here, are the conclusion's a little tricky. You have to infer it, so we'll do that together, and then we'll see if we can play that same mind the gap game. And again, this is another one I think is pretty tricky. So we'll, uh, you know, these are high degree of difficulty. So as you guys are finishing, people have had uh, some thoughts on this. Let me even point this out before we go too far. They want us to strongly counter the city official response. Well, the way they set up all of these, you're always weakening a conclusion. You can't weaken a fact. All right? When they give you a fact here, the fact is true. You can't, you know, come up with, uh, you know, well, even though Standard and Poor's says this, the people at Moody's say that. Like, they won't give you a different fact you have to really attack the reasoning. So if you look at what the city official says, you overlook this fact, and then in fact, all the city official does is give facts. So his, his conclusion is implicit. He's really just saying to the citizen, no, you're wrong, if we want to put that in there. So what would we say? What is the citizen's conclusion? What's the city official attacking? All right, what's he trying to say? You know, is, is the wrong conclusion, what's really his conclusion? So statements in critical reasoning are either facts or they're conclusions, right? So, and uh, Robbie, I'm, I'm dead on with you, man. You're there. Let me take a, a quick step back. Here's another one, he gives this as a fact, this fact points to, so he's saying, the citizen's saying, you're not preventing violent crime. Uh, he gives one fact and it points to that conclusion. City official says, no, you're wrong, we are preventing violent crime. Right? And so, I, um, I like the way Robbie and Linda are thinking. People agree with that. I think um, Ann has a decreasing ability of law enforcement. It's also like, like we saw in the last one: the devil's in the details. What is their ability decreasing in terms of? Well, it's decreasing. They're not doing as good a job of preventing violent crime. Right. And so, keep those details in mind. What's the main fact that the city official responds with then? And Rosie's question, how do you measure ability? That's kind of what he's doing with these stats. He's giving, he's saying, no, our ability to prevent violent crime is up, or we're doing a good job of preventing violent crime. Look, the murder rate has fallen. And so, yeah, murder victims per 100. He's giving the murder rate. So if we really break down what his thing is, you can't prevent violent crime, and the city official says, now the murder rate's down, we're doing a good job. All right. So people have typed it in, does everybody agree? If his only stat is the murder rate's down, that's how he responds. Hey, you're not doing a good job preventing violent crime. And he says, "Now the murder rate's down. Again, I go back to political campaign ads and all those kind of things. If somebody says, the economy's in shambles, and then the candidate says, but look, um, you know, interest rates are low. I was like, well, that's the one he cherry-picked that worked for him. Or, hey, the uh, the healthcare system has failed. And you go, no, but we did more heart transplants this year than last year. He's cherry-picking the one stat that works for him. So when we look at, hey, murder and violent crime aren't the same thing, um, people see that as the gap. He picked one type of violent crime and said, look, that's good. Well, they're not the same thing. It's sort of like we did all the way at the beginning, right after man versus dog. This one was... uh, Unemployment rate versus the number unemployed. The number unemployed is one factor in the unemployment rate here. The murder rate is one type of violent crime. So looks like a lot of people were typing in on the same page with that. If we find that little bit of a word shift, he's talking about violent crime, he's talking about murder, we need to find one that, that shows, hey, wait a second, murder is not the same thing as violent crime. Now, this problem I think actually comes from another standardized test that's pretty domestic. Fraud is not violent crime, so I'll tell you guys right now, A's off the table. With that in mind, with knowing we're looking for murder is not the same thing as violent crime, and we're looking for a reason to weaken this. We want to counter his response and say, now nah, you actually aren't doing a very good job with violent crime as a whole. Which of these answer choices And I've done a bad job keeping the poll going. So if you guys want to type them in, um, let me take a quick step back. What do you guys see in the answer choices? And uh, we'll talk about those, now knowing what we're looking for. God, i got to be careful on here. There's a uh, lot of text on the screen. I like what Dez is saying. E seems to be the closest. People agree. And we'll talk about why people don't love E as much. We've got a couple kind of votes for it. People don't like E because all of a sudden we start talking about health care. But if you move all the way through, if health care by assault victims, so now we're starting to talk about violent crime, was of the same quality, the murder rate would have been... Astronomically huge. Right? So what this is saying is, hey, you didn't stop these people from being attacked. You just they just didn't die because somebody else saved it for you. So your stat actually isn't indicative of anything. So people still got assaulted, violent crime still happened, it just didn't get categorized as murder, and that's why you have that. Right? So that's why E's right. This is another case where if you're not really sure what you're looking for, I think it's pretty hard to get to, uh, but if you've really unpacked, hey, wait a second, the conclusion's about violent crime, not about murder. I want to find something that says, hey, there's a lot of violent crime happening because um, that's, this is we're trying to weaken it this time, not strengthen it. So I want to like, drive that wedge apart even more. Hey, these two things aren't the same thing. You say this is down, well, I want to show how this is way up. Ton of people getting attacked. That's, that helps counter this guy's argument. All right. What people can't stand about this one, if we got all the way through, so it is E, is, oh shoot, do I have, oh, let me go back to it, sorry about that. Um, here it is bolded with nothing quite on there. The reason people hate E is sort of like we talked about back with the, the Ireland example, I think this is a much better example of it actually. People stop reading if the healthcare received by about what, six words in, and it's healthcare. one of the most dangerous phrases in critical reasoning that people fall victim to all the time is, "Uh, well, that's irrelevant or that's out of scope. The GMAT knows that on a hard problem, like I said, they're going to take several words to get to what you know you need it to be. We need violent crime to be up or the murder rate to somehow not be relevant to this argument. Well, it takes a several words to get there, but really, once, once you get past the comma, it's saying, hey, even the murder rate should have been higher. You didn't prevent it. It just didn't get categorized that way. So some people get to assault victims and start to see that it's relevant. Other people go all the way to the comma, and so maybe it's closer to 20 words. They love what I would call the curveball, ball, which... Um, American baseball might not be as popular overseas, but it's a you know, pitch that looks like it's way out of a strike zone at the last second it dips in. They love that. They love to make it look irrelevant, look irrelevant, but those who are patient, those who know what they're looking for, will wait on it and will see that it actually is directly relevant. So um, this one I think is just a good example. Be patient with answer choices. People are often in such a hurry to eliminate on a couple of words, they know that and, uh, and they reward you for really having a good sense of what the right answer should have and kind of waiting for it to develop. So we pause here for just a second. Um, Questions, comments on this. And then we'll see two more, um, if I have it right, um, examples that take a little bit of uh, tangents on a little bit of this. Yes, yeah, see, Tariq is uh, sees the trap. This one actually strengthens it. If you were to say that murders are more likely to be reported now, it actually means if the murder rate is down, but ten years, twenty years ago, if ten murders happened, maybe eight of them got reported. Now all ten do. You would expect the murder rate to be up. So it actually does help him. Cool. All right. Well, let's move to. Again, this is just sort of, I think one more, we kind of already did this sort of interstitial here. One thing, oh man, I should have closed this parenthesis here. Um, One trend they're doing on the GMAT quite a bit is, instead of it being a classic kind of Socratic argument like we saw at the beginning, they're using plans, and so just want to make sure that you see how this logic relates to that. A lot of times it's a plan, a strategy, um, it's steps they're taking to accomplish a goal. And in these questions, when you see which of the following was most likely to suggest that the goal won't meet its objective or that the plan is ill-suited to its aims or something like that. It's not a classic argument, but they have a plan that they've drawn out to try to achieve a goal, and they want you to say why it will work or why it won't work. The goal is basically the conclusion, and the steps to get there are the premises. Same thing. You want to make sure you know exactly what that goal is. What are they really trying to accomplish? And then, will these steps hit that or something kind of outside of it? So, really similar um, setup, just a goal instead of something else. Here again, you guys may want to go widescreen on this because the uh, the text just to get it all on the screen is uh, is a little bit tight. One, I'm going to step off screen give you guys the, uh, the full-on poll on this one and respond to a couple messages uh, that are a little bit longer. I'll get a chance to sit down and read them uh, through chat. So we'll give you guys about a minute and a half on this. Remember, you want to find conclusion is really the goal or objective. And so that's what's going to be mostly important on this one. So I'll leave that up here. I'll clear out that poll so people get a chance. I think this is a good one to see some of the stats on. And uh, we'll give it about a minute and a half and uh, get right back to it. How's everybody doing here again? I'll try to, to steer clear of uh, covering up any answer choices or anything. Um, what? Uh, any thoughts on? First of all, what is their goal? And, uh, and then we'll look at some of these answer choices. And uh, actually, let me um, let me step off real quick. I think we're we're Let me, let me display the. I forgot to uh, broadcast those results. But before we go there, what's uh, what do you guys see as really what is their goal? Because that's what's so important in this. People get lost in a few other things. Oh. Nice, I see some, uh, some great answers here. Reduce acid rain um, through energy efficiency. Reduce acid rain. Reduce acid rain. That's what they're looking to do. It's actually in the question stem. Criticism in their strategy is a method for a reduction in acid rain. Um, same thing, where does it show up in here? To combat the problem is part of their goal. So let me ask this. Are they looking to completely eradicate acid rain? No. All right. um, they just want to reduce it. I mean, ideally, maybe that's like the, the most successful plan to reduce it would be to reduce it all the way to zero. But they don't say that. They're just looking to reduce it. Right. And if you look at our answers that, uh, that we pick here, kind of a classic setup, lot for A, lot for D, a lot for E. All right. Well, if we look at what A says, some forms of air pollution would not be affected. Right. But as long as some of them are, we would get that reduction. A is kind of a trap answer because if people pick A, it's almost like we go back to the, uh, the lava, and we don't need these to be the earliest ancestors. We don't need all acid rain to be taken away. We just need to reduce it. So if they were to find a couple of forms of air pollution and drastically reduce those, they can still accomplish their goal. Right. So A is similar, and actually let me, uh, I think I have a better slide for a lot of say. This, this is at least like, we'll highlight some of this. A it's close, um, but it goes a little bit too far. Some forms won't be affected, well, but as long as some are, we can get that reduction. Our only goal is to reduce it, not to eliminate it. Same thing with D is also caused by other factors. If you picked A or D, you're looking at trying to, re- to eliminate acid rain, not necessarily reduce it. All right. So this one I think is mostly interesting because of um, people missing the overall goal or going a little too far with it. In classic arguments, the conclusion, those specific words, and we saw that so often, um, ineffective at preventing violent crime, or uh, not as effective in uh, reducing the commission of additional crimes, or any of those kind of things. It's those specific language in the conclusion. Here the objective takes that place, and all we want to do is reduce it, a and D are very popular but you can still have a good plan if yeah we're not going to get rid of volcanic eruptions from an environmental restrictions but we'll be able to get rid of the stuff we can control yeah some things were, are not going to be effective but we'll get take care of others that's what's wrong with a and D e basically says hey they're more concerned with economic targets so you can put these laws out there but if They're more concerned with these other things. They're just going to keep polluting anyway. This one shows that, hey, you may not get that reduction at all. And so that's why E is right. It kind of shows that, hey, there's a good chance you don't reduce it at all, whereas A and D both kind of admit, yeah, you'll reduce some, but not everything. So with these plan strategy questions, make sure you're really particular on exactly what their goal is. That tends to be where the game is played and where they get people. And so with that in mind, if we hit one somewhat bigger takeaway, um, this one I was kind of like, cause I don't know if this guy's made it over, I've seen Subways in London, I think Paris and other places. So you guys may know our American friend, Jared, the, um, I, I shouldn't, I can't really convert to kilos, but the 400 pound man who uh, lost all of his money by eating hoagies and grinders, lost all of his weight, not money, gained a lot of money, lost all of his weight by eating hoagies and grinders at Subway. If you want a better, and this, this is really the point I want to make, it's not really just about Jared, a better plan doesn't weaken the existing plan. So, if I were to say, and actually after this is done, I'm gonna go grab some lunch, I want a delicious and uh, inexpensive meal, so I'm gonna to go to Subway. If somebody comes up to me and says, that's a bad plan, Quiznos is cheaper, or McDonald's is cheaper, that doesn't necessarily weaken my plan, because I can still get the meal that way. What would weaken it is saying, no, actually, Subway is disgusting and it's not uh, delicious. Or actually, Subway just raised their rates and it's, it's going to cost you $10 to even park in their parking lot. You have to hit these things. You can't just find a better way, uh, a better plan. Like, this is a better restaurant. Or hey, actually, there's a byproduct. You're not going to be happy all day. Um, you, in order to weaken the plan, you need to show that plan will not meet its objective. Not, hey, there's a better plan out there. So in this case, A and D on this previous question, both kind of showed, hey, maybe there are better plans that are more comprehensive, or this plan is a little bit limited, but if its only goal is to reduce acid rain, then it can still be effective at that, even if some acid rain still happens. So uh, be really careful and know exactly what uh, the goal is in any of these cases, and you should be good. Well, that's the, the number one flaw is people miss that exact scope. So, I want to skip one real quick, um, only because I want to make sure we get enough time to spend on this one here. Um, One other way that they'll uh, do a pretty nice job of disguising your job is they give you a pretty innocent um, or uninformative question stem. Which of the following best completes the passage? As we've gone so far, they're almost always asking you to strengthen something or weaken something. Sometimes they're asking you to draw a conclusion. And just for, for time, we wanted to focus on where we could add the most value today. Here's where you just want to read right before the underline. Know what you're going to do before you do it. They want to say, you should do this because, and so and it's really a plan to most accurately determine food allergies. We should use this test because we're trying to strengthen this plan. So this is going to be. Variation on a theme, but if they ask you to best complete the passage, go right to the underline, read next to it, get a feel for what they're asking you to do, and then you can go in and kind of read for, hey, what's the gap, or what's the exact conclusion that they're looking for. This is another one, I'm going to move over, clear out the poll, answer your questions in the poll, because this one is another where, kind of like we did a lot yesterday, we can learn a lot from trap answers, mistakes people make, and so we'll want to hit that. So take about a minute and a half with this, and um, Poll will be open for you in just a second. go another couple seconds here again i 'm going to try to steer clear of, of covering up any answer choices so' I'm maybe be kind of slightly hanging off the screen for you. Um, I published those results when it was at, it was exactly a third, a third, and a third between AC and E I thought that was pretty cool so uh, you guys can kind of see the, uh, the now the group think will take over and people will all start to, to go in one direction. but uh, when I saw those stats ooh, it 's cool when we're uh, exactly between so why don 't we talk here? What is their goal? This is a plan strategy question like we just saw before it was reduce acid rain. What's their goal on this one? What are they trying to accomplish? I mean, again, I'm gonna step around real quick to grab those uh, the ones that are low. Uh, to test food out, okay. Here's where uh, Dez has been on point today. I'm glad we finally got you to to make a slight mistake here. Our um, tour may be on it. Anna is uh, you're close. You actually had the plan, not the conclusion. What we're really looking for to most accurately determine food allergies. All right. Now. And here it is, a lot of times you'll find cause and effect in premise and conclusion. Um, Because x is true, we must conclude y. Or in order to blank, we should blank. Here it's in order to do this, our goal, we should do that, which is use the test that gives the smallest percentage of false negatives. Now, what's interesting with this, actually for our group, and it's been a long session, this is the last question we're going to do here. People are a little bit off in what the goal is, and this is actually going to get back to, I think it was Colleen that asked the question before about outside information, and kind of brought in this back when we were doing um, lava flows in, in human ancestors, and I told you I'd show you my favorite example of the way they get you with just bringing in outside information. Um, I would actually say I, I agree personally with Des on what my goal would be, it's not their goal. right? Their goal is to be as accurate as possible. I, Which means, why would we only focus on minimizing false negatives? So the goal is accuracy, and the plan is focus on false negative. Why don't we care about false positives? Their plan is to, to focus on the false negatives, but accuracy, there's two ways you can be wrong. You can say that it's positive when it should be negative, or you can say it's negative when it should be positive. Each of those are falses. Their plan is actually kind of strange, if you view it in this light. This is definitely their goal, and that's their plan, which must mean, if we go down to E, that there's no way to minimize false positives. If all tests have the same proportion of false positives, like well, I guess we can't do anything about that. Let's minimize the false negatives. So. The answer is E, and we had some people do that. Let me pause here, does everybody see that? The only reason we would say if our goal is just accuracy, be as accurate as possible, and there's two ways to be wrong, why do we only focus on one of them? It's because you can't really do anything about the other one. And I shouldn't say it that way, actually I'm drawing a conclusion that way. If this is true, then of course you would focus on the other one. So we should say it that way. This is a fact that would then strengthen this, the idea of the plan. If this were true, then yeah, that's the plan you would take. All right, here's where this question is really tricky, is it's so easy to read a goal that's not actually there. Because like Des said so, uh, so eloquently, and, and I think others are probably thinking, when it's a health issue, we want to be safe. Right, we've got—I don't know if you guys are uh, wherever you live—are as freaked out as people in the U.S. now are about Ebola because it's on our shores. When it's health, people freak out because we want to be safe. And so, if you pick A, that some food allergies cause re- reactions severe enough to be life-threatening, yeah, that might be why you would want to. But actually, what you—you um, you may want to. If your goal is safety, yes, that's the guy. I'm sorry, I'm talking too much, uh, talking a lot, thinking not enough. A would be helpful if your goal was safety. Our goal is not safety. So if our goal is pure accuracy and we do this, we're leaving all the false positives out there. Same thing with a lot of people pick C. You want to be as thorough as possible. Well, actually, as thorough as possible means you probably want to check on both sides or use multiple tests. So it doesn't really work. But A and C speak to that kind of innate portion of just what's in your soul. Hey, let's be safe. Let's be really careful about this. False negative means, I'm telling you, you're not allergic to peanut butter. You go out and eat a bag full of Reese's peanut butter cups and end up dying in a street corner, Um, that's a problem. Whereas false positive is, hey, I think you're actually allergic to, certain types of grains, you don't eat bread anymore, you're on salads and not sandwiches. It's a bummer, but it's not catastrophic. Your mind goes toward, yeah, let's be as safe as possible. Their goal is not that. So on this question, A and C, as we saw from the stats, are really tempting, because they they turn on this part of your brain, they know where your mind wants to go. Safety, safety, but that's actually not what they say. So back when uh, we were talking about earliest ancestors and all that, I'd mentioned. it's not as much like outside information. A lot of times, outside opinions get you, so you need to be really careful what exactly did they say, as opposed to where does your mind want to go, whether it's information or feelings. So let me pause on that, because I think this one is just a really good example of good trap answers. They pollute your mind with a topic that you definitely have an opinion about, and you need to be really careful of what exactly is the conclusion, or in this case, the objective, and then go from there. I'm just gonna step over and grab this. Um, Okay, if true, which of these? Well, it kind of actually, trick. it is that. That's the other thing I mentioned is, best completes the passage is a little bit harder to kind of figure out what type of question it is. And this is where in sort of a limited time, um, you know, we've got an hour and a half. I want to try to give you guys a pretty good, thorough understanding of some of these. We're not going through every step that uh, we might go through, categorizing all the different problems. They're really asking you to strengthen. This is saying, why do this? So it's strengthen the plan. And if it's a strengthened question, you want a fact that will make this more likely, or more, more relevant, more likely to achieve that objective. So really, if the question asks that, they may make it slightly easier. It actually is the same type of question. If you're categorizing, again, standardized tests, they, they write these up basically the same way. They just kind of obscure their intent sometimes. But really, they're saying, hey, why would you do this? Which is kind of like saying, if this is true, then it would lead to this conclusion or this, this goal. So, actually, I like that you're saying that, Sheree, because that's basically what this question is. They just do a good job of hiding it behind this question stem that doesn't really let on exactly what they're asking. You have to infer that. Do this because of that is saying if this is true, then that's why you should do this. Other thoughts, comments? So this is uh, the real. The biggest takeaway I want you to get from this one is uh, is that when you have outside, not even like I said, information as much, but like outside opinions on things, be careful because they can and, and definitely will use that against you at times. So, got it. Cool. Awesome. Glad that worked. Now, right, well, as we wrap up, um, oops, I got a couple of these kind of interstitial slides. Um, What we really wanted to cover today was essentially just the blueprint for how they make all these things. And these are uh, kind of a list of hopefully takeaways or things you're walking away with for when you get to critical reasoning problems of your own. That minding the gap is big, being able to say, hey, this is not the same thing as that. We saw that with murders versus violent crimes, arrests versus crimes committed, Ireland versus here. Bones in the sediments versus people actually living there at that time. We saw a lot of those gaps, which are all really the same as uh, all men are mortal, Socrates is a dog. Hey, these two things don't agree, they just make it a lot tighter. Um, With plans and strategies, they do get a little bit trickier because it's not a classic argument, so people who may have done some philosophy or debate or something aren't quite as ready for them, so it throws a little bit of a wrinkle in it. The objective is the conclusion. You can call it the goal is the conclusion. So make sure you're aware of that. And then this misdirection two ways we saw that. Remember on that uh, murders and um, violent crimes, the first few words were about healthcare. People didn't like that. Usually, a lot of times, people don't like that. Our group did pretty well. So watch that kind of curveball effect where it takes a while to get where it's going. And then also, we call it mental inertia a lot. Um, like we saw in that last one, their goal is just to be accurate, but your mind goes to safety because, let's face it, you're all decent human beings, which is why I'm excited to have another class tomorrow and help you guys um, through all this. We're good people, we care about safety. The G- I don't wanna say the is evil, I actually think it's a pretty good test, but what they know is that they know where your mind's gonna go, and so you wanna be aware of that and, uh, and, and read really critically and, uh, and carefully. So that's critical reasoning. Couple takeaways for you. Um, they have a forum where you can ask follow-up questions. And uh, they have got a handful of experts. And I'm one of them that will answer some of those. So here's that forum link that uh, you may want to um, take a screenshot or something. Make sure you have that ready to go. If you do want to post follow-up questions, homework questions, anything like that in there. Again, if you are interested, and I know at one point somebody had asked about what resources are available on our website, including tutorials. Um, Basically what I do for a living, or what our company does for a living, is teach people how to do this. So there aren't as many free tutorials as you might think because we have to sell people something. But um, all of our full-length courses and resources are available on our website. And you guys get a, 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 um, $100 off any of those things. So that's that offer code. And then you do have homework for this lesson. Yesterday was kind of an intro. Um, didn't seem fair to really turn you loose on a ton of homework. You do have homework here. There are video lessons that you're going to um, go see um, for Thursday. All of that stuff is available through this link. So um, definitely recommend you get back there. Recorded sessions will be posted to this link. Uh, it takes a little while for us to get them to PrepAdvisor, PrepAdvisor to get them up. So it uh, should be within a couple of days. So they'll be there for review later. But um, between now and then, you've got homework. We've got another session tomorrow. We'll dive even deeper on data sufficiency. Um, my job for the next hour or so is to trim down that lesson because there's so much I want to say, but we'll get to all that. So um, See you guys tomorrow for all that. Um, if you guys have extra questions, the forum's great. I'll be around for another minute or two on, uh, on chat here. I think they need to, uh, to close down the studio to, uh, to get the, uh, the recording generated. So we'll, uh, we'll do that. And uh, thanks, everybody. Again, this has been a blast. Hopefully you guys are learning from it. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to PrepCast. I hope you found these tips and tricks shared by our tutor Brian useful, and that you will manage to apply them while taking the GMAT. This is one of a series of GMAT lessons by Brian Galvin you can find on prepadvisor.com. Follow the link in the podcast episode description to see all of them for free.